Bulimia sucks, but you don't, and here's why. The Bulimia Sucks podcast with Kate Hudson Hall will teach you how to begin breaking through the multitude of thoughts, feelings, triggers, and urges to empower yourself to change your painful behaviors completely. You will hear proven strategies and solutions to help you in your recovery, including real interviews with real people. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calm this. Check it out now on Amazon. And now... Another episode of Bulimia Sucks, the podcast. Hello, my name is Kate Hudson-Hall and thank you for listening to Bulimia Sucks, the podcast. These are real stories from people who are suffering or have suffered an eating disorder. It's a platform for people to share relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations based on bulimia and anorexia and other eating disorders. And episodes will include their personal stories of where they are now and their difficult journeys and their steps taken into recovering from their eating disorder. We'll be talking to a wide variety of people who are going through or recovering or have recovered from their eating disorder and also professionals who work with people with an eating disorder. And our guest today, again, is Milda. And Milda had an eating disorder when she started dieting and then bulimia for five years. And she tried many different avenues to help her recover, including plenty of self-help books and therapies. And she has now fully recovered on one tool that really helped her was the power of nutrition. So she went on to study nutritional therapy and has been successfully practicing since specializing and works with clients with eating disorders. In episode 23, she was discussing how she helps her clients through their recovery and Today, this is a continuation of our discussion and the steps that she further takes to bring her clients forward in their recovery, including um, mindful eating, intuitive eating, and also discussing fear and safe foods and sometimes foods, and also talking about vitamins and also the bulimia bloat. So thank you for listening, and here we go. Yeah. And the next things that we would do would be things like um, starting to eliminate fear foods, right? So depending some person, you know, we might write a list of sort of safe foods, sometimes foods and never foods, and or traffic light foods, right? And so... Um, and we, we would start to add in one food of the sometimes into more of the always, right? So starting to incorporate those fear foods one by one. Um, and that's a process in itself. And we would also work on eliminating food rules, really similar to what we do with, with anorexia as well. Yeah. So people have all sorts of food rules, obviously, and they're all different, can be, um, some of the more common ones might be I can't eat after six o'clock or I've heard interesting food rules. There would be things like I can't have two things that are high in fat in one meal, for example, or I can't have you no know, carbs and protein together, various things. So we kind of would work through them and think, well, where 
do these rules come from? Yeah. And what are they about? And uh, is this serving you? Right. So things like that. And, uh, and then we could move into mindful eating and then intuitive eating, of course. Mm. But the mindful eating, uh, I've, that's probably one of my favorite parts because uh, no one because expects... Because most people don't do it. <laughs> one of the reasons. But another reason is because so many people learn so much about themselves in this part. Yeah. Because most people think, well, mindful eating, okay, that's easy. But actually, that's the most difficult part for most people because you have to be slow and present with food. And, you know, if you've been binging and purging sort of on autopilot for decades or many years, it's quite hard to slow down. Yeah. But when they do, they realize, oh, my body is responding to that. Yeah. Oh, you know, um, mindful eating is also the, the place where we would learn to reconnect with the body and especially things that people are mostly worried about are, um, I've ruined my hunger signals, right? I don't know when, when I'm hungry, when I'm full. So the mindful eating part is where we start looking into the hunger scale and we really start to sensitize those signals for hunger fullness. And that in itself, I find is transformational for people because they realize if I'm really attuned to those hunger signals, I never actually need to worry about weight or diets or yeah. weight loss because actually my body will, uh, this automatic inbuilt system is going to tell me if I know how to use it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because mm. your body knows how much how much food you need um, yeah. and everybody's different. It depends how much, you know, uh, people move their body to how much mm. food they need, but there are signals there. Yes. And, you know, they've been overridden and so it's tuning in with mindful eating. It's tuning back into actually what really is your body telling you. And using exactly. the hunger scale is an excellent way to begin to do that. Mm -hmm. So tell us about the hunger scale. So, so uh, something interesting that you just mentioned uh, about uh, overriding, right? So those signals, you know, as, as we were children and babies, we, we had this system and we used it very well. And so we didn't, think, you know, if, even if it was the tastiest food in front of us, when we had enough, we had enough. So when those uh, signals become overridden, it's where, whether diets, whether it's information from around us that actually says, well, you shouldn't be having as much, although maybe your body's saying something different, right? And so, and for, like I said, for some people, this process has been happening for, you know, years and even decades. And so for them yeah. to think that they can trust their body is just not an yeah. option. Yeah. And, and um, the, uh, you know, the, uh, where I guess a lot of people get stuck when they come to see me, some people have tried mindful eating, uh, excuse me, the intuitive eating already, and they just got even more confused. Mm. And this is where I always say, okay, but it's important to go through these steps with nutrition where you're actually balanced in order to start mindful intuitive eating, because if you're not, you could be yeah. going in these spikes and crashes of blood sugar. And all yeah. you want all the time might be sugar and simple carbohydrates. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean your body's balanced. That just means that perhaps it's out of balance and it's sending you wrong signals. And then you're eating, you know, donuts and brownies all the time. And you start to become quite scared that this is what my body is going to want all the time. Yeah. So uh, so the hunger scale, uh, the, really the, the process of uh, working with the hunger scale is reconnecting to these signals in a controlled way, which, and when I say controlled, it's, you know, doing um, regular eating. And with regular eating, then we start the challenge. So the first thing I do, I, I, I have this 
handout that I give to people with a hunger scale. They actually have the scale that they can see there. And uh, with each, each uh, I use sort of zero to 10. Yeah. I know different people use a different way, but for me, zero is ravenously hungry, you know, can't even focus. And 10 for me is really, really full. That's, that's I how know. I do That kind of makes sense to me. That's okay. how I teach it, yeah. <laughs> same, same for me. I know people yeah. do it the other way around yeah. sometimes. Yeah, okay. so, so I use that. And uh, I always say to people that, um, uh, so, so what I ask them to do, because people write food diary when they work with me, and I just mm. ask them to take, you know, 10 seconds before each meal and just look through the scale and, and just let me know where you're at. So they can say, you know, a three, a three, a four, when I start eating, right? And then later, so we first just work with hunger. So we first work with hunger, maybe a few weeks until people get comfortable. And then I start to incorporate the fullness. And uh, what I notice, so people who have uh, had bulimia and binge eating, they often struggle to gauge hunger very well. And people who um, struggle with anorexia often struggle uh, to gauge fullness or, or they, they say they're full much earlier than they actually are. So yeah. they, the moment yeah. they start to feel food coming in, they say I'm full, but then an hour later they're hungry again. So yeah. it's these kind of subtle uh, parts of that. So that's, I guess, the hunger scale. That, well, that's, that's kind of a guide to help them to begin to really tune into their body mm -hmm. and how to, you know, how to understand yes. it, to be able to kind of support the, the mm -hmm. amount of food that they're eating. Yes, absolutely. And, and, you know, hunger scale is one part, but often I use other tools as well. For example, yeah. uh, there might be some body scan meditations that I would ask people to do. Right? Because actually when you're using the body scan, it's not just uh, about the food, but it's also what other parts of your body are, you know, what other sensations can you notice? And I guess it's very much, I imagine, similar to the work you do when it comes to noticing emotions again, right? Yeah. It's where, where they are in the body. And sometimes they, um, you know, emotions can be so linked with hunger, particularly with eating disorders. And yeah. not, not necessarily true hunger, but understanding that I'm hungry and I need to cope with this. And yeah. what's interesting, actually, another part of the hunger scale that I do is I ask people how they, how they know that they're hungry and really just uh, starting to recognize those, those first initial, you know, understanding that I'm hungry. And what's interesting is that really not a big amount of people have uh, actual physical uh, sensations or cues in their stomach and digestive tract. Often it's a lot of, you know, uh, moods or lack of focus or maybe irritation. So different things. And so what, what some of the most interesting things I've heard when I ask people, okay, tell me uh, four or five things that tell you that you're hungry. And people have told me interesting things like uh, I get tingling in my hands. Or one person said that she would get this constriction in her throat that she also gets when she feels anxious. Yeah. So that for me was very interesting yeah. because for some people that those emotions can be very much mimicking hunger sometimes. Yeah. 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 And it's making that, that those signals, whatever they may be, 
maybe it's you know a number of different signals like you say it's making those as conscious as possible and as big as mm-hmm. possible for you to be able to see and feel them easier mm-hmm. isn't it and sometimes the work we do for example with mindful eating or hunger scale at the beginning when we start the regular eating it's almost every week we add something new and when, once we get into the mindful eating part, it's, it's actually the same work that we have to do for longer periods of time. And people sometimes get impatient. You know, I want more goals or I want to do this quicker. And actually the, the process really with mindful eating happens when we manage expectations. And let's say you go through, through three or four weeks of mindful eating. And then let's say fourth week, you have this breakthrough and you think, oh my God, now I really understand this. Yeah. Right? So it's just really trying to stay with it and knowing that even if you don't, if you can't really pick up the hunger and fullness just yet, with time, something clicks just by doing it over and over. It's like a skill, I guess. Yeah. 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 Hmm. And it's, it's creating that positive neural pathway in your brain, isn't it? Yes, exactly. By doing it over and over again. Exactly. Yeah. And I guess giving a bit of trust to your body. Right. If someone mm. hasn't trusted their body very much for a long time, it's also mm. a big, a big step to say my body will know what to do. Yeah. Mm. And then after that, so where do you where do you take them? How do you take them forward from there? So I guess the, the next step really is uh, intuitive eating. Mm. And and that, as we know, is probably a lifelong learning. Um, but we, we start looking into, you know, the, the main sort of principles of uh, mindful eating. I often give people a, a mindful eating, uh, sorry, I keep confusing intuitive. it, intuitive eating. I, I, I often give people, um, once I feel like, okay, let's go into, at some point of the journey, actually, I would give them the intuitive eating assessment. And, and the assessment really gives us an idea of where they might be at in intuitive eating. And yeah. so then we, we work by that because it could be, oh, Actually, there are still times when I feel like I'm eating because of my emotions or there are times when I can't trust my hunger. And then we talk about what, which particular time. So we kind of hone in on those areas where they don't feel very strong, let's say, or they feel they still have challenges. And then, and then similar, I, I often, usually at this stage, we still have some regular eating that has a container in place. Because again, that's, that's easier to, to practice things when it's, when it's that way. And so um, let's say with intuitive eating, we, we maybe would take one meal per day and we would say, okay, well, maybe you don't prepare for this meal. And then you just feel what is it that you'd like to eat at that, at that time, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe you have a few options and then you just feel out what would be nice for me today. So it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, just kind of, like I said, like a controlled way of experimenting to start with. And then things start to become a bit looser and looser and looser. And then maybe we reduce the food diary. Maybe, you know, with when that was pre-COVID, you know, when the cafes would be open, people would go out more. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and still, you know, so, so at those times would be really great times for experimentation and, and challenging themselves. Yeah. Of thinking, well, what is it that I want to have today and now? Yes. So, Milda, one thing that um, I wanted to ask you is, which is as we both know is huge for people, particularly with bulimia, about the bulimia bloat. Mm-hmm. Great. What, yes. what do you advise your clients about the bulimia bloat? Excellent question. I'm really pleased you asked me because it happens to 95% of people. Yeah. And that initial bulimia bloat, I always say, okay, that there are a few things. So really good to calm the mind down and knowing, you know, Often that bloat is associated, you know, 
people use the, even the word I'm bloated interchangeably with I've eaten a lot. And so I think we need to separate that because mm. sometimes people think that I'm, you know, I'm bloated, which means I've overeaten. And often when they start the recovery process, it's, the bloating can be anything from two weeks to six weeks, yeah. really depending. Um, and often that bloat is actually nothing to do with them having eaten a lot. It's, yeah. it's really, like I say, it's a, your body is healing itself. And so it needs to, again, create this protection almost, right? So to yeah. know that those organs are protected, that, you know, uh, that if I say, okay, <laughs> Bloating is actually a really positive thing. And, yeah. and I remember yeah. from bulimia help method, we, I, we would say that, you know, um, healing bloated belly is a healing belly. Yeah. And using this mantra to remind people that actually this is a good thing. Your body is having enough resources so it can restore itself. And yeah. just reminding that it, it's only that bad in the first two to six weeks. And then you can, you know, you, it's probably aren't going to worry about it unless there's other imbalances going on. Right. So in this blow time, what I would say some simple things to do, uh, very important to make sure you're comfortable. So using wearing clothes that make you feel comfortable. So yeah, maybe looser clothes for now. Um, but it's just really important to make sure that people are comfortable, uh, making sure they drink enough also trying not to drink too much some people yeah. overhydrate so it's i would say anything that that you your... know it's, it's drinking gradually building it up isn't it yes but also you know if they drink too much they can uh, uh, wash out electrolytes which happens yeah. a lot with eating yeah. disorders so probably you know fluid wise two liters is an average and yeah. that's a good one to, or to build up to that isn't it uh, yes yes i mean mm. Most people probably will um, drink anything from a liter to, you know, two liters. So, so I think just trying to stay with that, not going to three liters, even if they're exercising, because that can get a bit dangerous. Um, there are some teas that can really help reduce bloating. So, for example, uh, peppermint, peppermint tea helps. Right. Chamomile, um, yeah. ginger and lemon, ginger in particular, whether it's uh, dried or fresh, these probably are fennel tea is also really good so these few are is a really good idea to have some sort of in between meals if they experience bloating and another thing that i know not many people will be happy about but actually one of the uh, macronutrients that really helps reduce bloating is fats right? yeah. so i actually say to people yes. improving inc increasing the the amount of fats they have it, yeah. especially in that time really helps reduce bloating yeah yeah so I think these are a few things. And uh, gentle exercises also. Yes. Gentle exercises, you know, yoga, that's not power yoga, but more sort of restorative and yin. Um, stretching, um, self-massage can be really good as well. And that yeah. also helps improve body image. So a few things oh, there. And what would you suggest about taking probiotics? Hmm. I think that's a tricky one because uh, there are so many different types of probiotics. Mm. And especially if we don't quite know exactly what's going on at, at any point, you know, in the gut, uh, a lot of the time what, what can happen, you know, the eating disorder can trigger an imbalance in the gut. And so for a person, certain probiotics might help and certain might make things worse. Yeah. So with this, I'd probably say I'm a bit 
wary of using them with some people I feel like okay this person you know maybe they don't have I tend to take it case by case basis on their health history where they're at mm. and you know there might be some other things for example if the bloating is quite bad um at the beginning just perhaps for some people digestive enzymes help because they might have uh you know the body's not breaking down food very well so actually digestive yeah. enzymes could be a bit more beneficial than probiotics at this stage but right. often in the healing stage okay maybe when all the bloating is done and then you go into intuitive eating then you can experiment with uh, probiotics to sort yeah. of rebuild the flora yes mm. yeah oh, so it's really interesting yes it yeah. is that's a difficult one for so many people isn't it mm. yes. yeah and there's a lot to think about, I guess. And that's why it's useful to work with somebody because they can sort of guide you in, in the right direction. And there yeah. are many steps. Uh, and what the, once they've sort of made their way through to the intuitive eating, so what are, what are some mm-hmm. of the positive benefits that they, could ben- that they could focus on to look forward to, I suppose? I'd say with intuitive eating, People really want to get to a place where, of course, there's all these things like not thinking about food all, all the time. And yes, there is an aspect of, you know, eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full. But it's, I guess it's so much more complicated, I guess, than that. It's just feeling relaxed around food. And they'll feel calmer, won't they? Their Absolutely. emotions will feel a lot more. Absolutely. Calmer. Kind of I more guess stabilized. Your mood becomes more stabilized. Yes, I guess there's not, there is focus around food in terms that, you know, they do still need to eat, but it's, it doesn't create so much stress and knowing that, you know, even if I have a challenging situation around food, I'm going to handle it. Yeah. Right. So things like that. So yeah, definitely more relaxed around food, feeling like they can join in with other people, you know, almost like uh, being flexible in food situations. So let's say, um, spontaneity around food right so all these things that don't create stress yes yeah yeah and and their sleeping will begin to improve won't it well sleep often starts to improve already with regular eating so Mm. really quite soon because when you um balance blood sugar that affects the hormones so insulin is very much linked to all the other hormones including uh you know melatonin which, you know, serotonin and melatonin, serotonin is also responsible for appetite regulation. And that gets transferred into uh, melatonin, which is sleep. So very, very soon into the process, people would see uh, physical changes. So the moods improve, sleep improves, digestion often improves, because that whole process of blood sugar balance starts to increase, starts to bring this all together balance into their lives. Yeah. So, you know, the bowel movements often improve, right? So regularity starts to come. So it's just all these positive signs that uh, so much in the body is restoring. Yeah. 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 Mm. Amazing. It is, Amazing. isn't it? Yes. What about other vitamins? Yes. So I often do suggest people take supplements at certain stages. Obviously, if someone is um, with anorexia, where they're at low BMI, I often don't necessarily give supplements straight away so that, you know, that, that the mindset isn't that I can just have supplements and it will be okay. 
right? Yeah. It's we we try we try to get to a point where they they're eating more food, unless of course you know they go to the GP and they say you know you need to take a supplement of iron, potassium, or something like that. So that's obviously has to happen. Generally, for people in the UK, from probably October time to maybe March, April, I would say you know until the sun comes out, I do give a supplement of vitamin D. Um, definitely to take because not only the immune system, but also bones and uh, moods in particular, that really can support. And then again, I I look at it from case to case, case by case. So for some people, uh, um, for many people, I would give magnesium because it's something that helps to relax. It also helps a little bit with blood sugar balance, helps with sleep. So this, these probably are are the ones that, you know, people could, um, look into themselves and then again case by case maybe other uh, supplements i i don't know i i wouldn't necessarily tell people to to get themselves i would say you know speak to a professional yeah that's what they've Um, got to do yes exactly first of all yes yes what would you say about zinc ah yes so there's a big big thing around zinc of course with with eating Mm. disorders especially with anorexia in many cases, if I see that people need a little bit of a lift, let's say they just need a bit of motivation, a bit of energy, I might suggest a, a, a type of multi supplement. Often that'd be a big part of magnesium. What's it called? Have, uh, a multivitamin. So they would have. Oh, multivitamin. Uh, yeah. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> so they would they would have a big big part of magnesium, and probably they would have B vitamins and some uh, trace minerals, and often they would have some zinc. So I know that there's a lot around zinc. I wouldn't, for some people, I, I would give it, I just really would look by their um, symptoms yeah. often to yeah. see, okay, if they also have bad nails and hair and a lot of people do. So then I would, I would suggest something extra. Yeah. Yes. And what about omega-3? Yes, that's another one that I often do suggest for people to have. For some people, we manage to add a little bit more by eating fish. Um, because, you know, it really depends on, on the person, but I often, the ones I mentioned, probably vitamin D, magnesium, uh, either digestive enzymes or later on probiotics and, um, omega threes, and maybe a multivitamin sometimes would be probably my go-tos that I would use with a lot of people, but then with other people might be something extra, but yeah, omega three can be very useful. A lot of the time, many people are actually not uh, are in this imbalance of omega-3s and omega-6s yeah it's yeah. mm. really interesting huh? yes wow there's a lot of information that people can take away from this show mm-hmm. and is there anything else that you would like to add Milda um, well I think that another big thing which uh, obviously not just nutrition but life in general is the big part of what we do uh, a lot of the time is stress resilience And I think that's just so huge. Stress resilience can be so huge because it can deplete people from, uh, you know, stressful times, deplete people from nutrients physically. And uh, of course they can trigger eating, eating disorder behaviors. So a big, another big part that we do is, you know, with some people it's 70% of the time we work on stress resilience in various different ways. So whether it's techniques, whether it's, it's really just about finding a way for the person that helps them take away the, the anxiety and the, the stress easier. Yeah. Yeah. And what sort of, uh, what, what sort of um, techniques 
or ways would you help people? So, so some of the um, ones that I tend to go to a lot is breathing exercises mm. because breathing exercises can be used anywhere. They take minutes. They're free, right? Yeah. So many benefits to that. And so they work really quickly as well because they can reduce the adrenaline and cortisol in the body. And so um, within three, five minutes, a person can feel really calm. Um, well, much calmer than they were before. So I do love this. Uh, meditation, of course, that's, um, you know, there are so many different types. I do, I'm a big advocate and fan of meditation. I have to do it myself every day because it really helps. Yeah. Uh, so I do, I do try to support people to, towards implementing that themselves. But uh, we find the way whichever meditations work for people. So we experiment pro often with a few until we find something. Yeah. Um, yoga is great if people can do that. They're, then there can be things, you know, like just playing some music and dancing around, right? For some people, that really helps. So being in the body, so this movement, so you can shake out sort of the emotions or anything that's stuck. Other couple of things that really help uh, is either journaling, so writing things, you know, take, getting things out of their head and journaling. Or for some people, they don't like to write, so they talk. So they talk to themselves. Yeah. They might talk yeah. into their phone, might record it and then delete it. So whatever helps is just taking, I guess, taking all that stress and thoughts out of their head. Yeah. It really yeah. helps. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. And then start to free up a bit of space in there to be yes. able to think differently and exactly. think more positively. Mm. Exactly. I, I, that's fantastic. <laughs> oh, well, Milda, thank you so much. This has been excellent. Pleasure. Pleasure. Yes. So much information for people to learn from. Yes. And I think, you know, just by listening to this, I guess they'll see that there are so many things that they can do. I would say try not to get overwhelmed because that's when we, if we start to do everything, that's when it can feel like too much. I yeah. would say, you know, taking a step by, by step and with, with exa for example, with stress resilience exercises, I would start to try one, try one and try one a few times and see if that works. And if it doesn't, maybe move on to another one, but not trying to do everything because when overwhelm comes, it feels like I can't do anything and I drop everything. So absolutely. And like you said in the beginning, it's taking that one little step forward mm -hmm. that will begin to help you and support you in your further steps forward mm -hmm. yes yeah. so really minute how a small smaller step you need to take exactly yeah yes, exactly <laughs> fabulous well thank you so much for joining us milda pleasure sharing yeah. all this amazing information so that's all for today's episode of bulimia sucks and thank you for listening and for joining us today and Join us again on the next episode and make sure you subscribe to, to the podcast on Apple iTunes so you never miss an episode. Um, if you haven't already heard about it, check out my book on Amazon called Bulimia Sucks to learn many different techniques to help you to begin to break through your painful bulimic behaviors. And also it's about to come out as an audio book, which I'm very excited about, which will be in the next month. So I will keep you up to date on that. 
So thanks for listening to Milda and I. And before we go, show us what you think about the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or iTunes or wherever you listen. And then come and join our Facebook group, Bulimia Sucks, if you haven't already, where it's great to connect with like-minded people and chat about their ups and downs. So thanks for listening. And I look forward to speaking to you again in the next episode. Bulimia Sucks but you don't. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools and tips to calmness. Check it out now on Amazon. 